Welcome to Faith and Science. I'm Dr. John Ashton. Just the other week, I uh, received a copy of a uh, a book from a uh, friend who's um, a retired professor of biochemistry at a large um, university in the United States um, that had quite a famous medical school, actually, and uh, he was involved in some of the research that was uh, was done there. Anyway, he's um, he sent me this uh, draft of a, a book that is in the final stages of uh, being uh, published uh, that I might uh, write a, um, a, a comment about it that might be able to be used on the, the cover. And uh, he, he wanted me to do this in uh, respect of... Um, the position that um, I hold as an adjunct professor in the area of uh, nutrition and biophysics at RMIT University in Melbourne. And so, you know, to have these sort of endorsements helps sell the the book. And it's actually a very interesting approach to longevity. He starts off with the observation that when we are young... You know, 30, 40 years of age, we sort of look ahead and we we see, oh, well, you know, we're only 30, 40 years. Um, it's going to be a long time before we die and we, we don't think about it that much, particularly often when we, we double the numbers and we think, well, for only 30, another 30 years' time, I'll only be 60. And there are a lot of people around that are 60. Or if I'm 40, um, in another 40 years' time, be 80. Well, a lot of people live to 80. And so he was saying that when we're at those ages, in terms of longevity, it's natural to sort of sort of double our age and then think, oh, well, I've lived this long, you know, I'm going to live at least that long. But he said, when we get to 50, we double that, that's 100. Ooh, a bit close. And then when we get to 60 and we double that 120, well, not that many humans these days live to 120. Matter of fact, that almost seems to be the uh, the cutoff span for life. Uh, as I've been looking at the research of people and the, you know how long they've they've lived, very few people in recent times have lived longer than that. Now we know in the past, in Bible times, after the um, the, the flood, the ages on earth declined. So prior to the flood, uh, the Bible talks about you know, people living, on, on average, the, the patriarchs lived about 900 years. And if we plot the data, we, can, we, we have a, a, a graph that's fairly, you know, fairly horizontal, you know, oscillates a little bit, but it's around 900 years. And then after the flood, the life expectancy uh, drops away, uh, drops away, you know, e- exponentially until we come down to about 100, 120 years and then slowly it, it, it drops away, then back to our, our modern times. And this this decay, we, we can explain that in terms of um, uh, genomic decay as the DNA accumulates errors that seems to fit, you know, quite well the... Um, 
the decrease in lifespan. There could be many other factors too. In, a, in other words, the, the studying the biochemistry of ageing and the factors involved in ageing and, and um, that take place in our body is certainly a, uh, an, an area that's receiving a lot of uh, research and we don't really you know, fully under, understand what is happening. Uh, they're the, the mechanisms of, of ageing. There are different theories, the oxidation theory, genomic decay, uh, you know, and, there, and there's ov- it's obviously going to be multifactorial, and that is not counting, of course, getting, you know, disease and illness. But it was an interesting point that, you know, it points out, and, of course, when we get to 70 or 80 years of age, we realise, whoa, um, we're way past halfway through our life. And yet there's this desire that we all seem to have this desire to want to keep on living. Now, some people unfortunately get to the stage where their health deteriorates such where living is is painful. Uh, they might be racked with, with pain from various illnesses um, that um, they have come down with. But even so, there's usually that uh, hope of um, continuing on somehow, living living longer. It seems to be that that natural desire there. And my friend's book is about this. What what's the news? What what is the the best possible news that um, there is um, with regard to living longer? And, of course, you know, some people live, um, you know, and are, are active into quite old age. I noticed a uh, report that was uh, published just recently, I think it was by the, um, the Australian Commonwealth Scientific and Industrial Research Organisation, CSIRO, where they looked at uh, the safety of drivers, older, older drivers, and they... Uh, you know, studied the safety record of these drivers, and I think the oldest one that they looked at was uh, 96 years of age. Person driving at 96 years of age, and uh, you know, every now and again we read um, stories of people, you know, over a hundred still working. There was a, a story recently. Um, well, so recently, actually, time passes. <laughs> it's a few years ago now, of a um, a solicitor in uh, Newcastle, near where I live, who was over 100 and still working in the office, still practising. Um, there was a, a case at um, of a, an academic at a university in Western Australia who uh, was still working and coming into work, had an office, um, and he was over 100 years of age. And there was a, a bit of a write-up as because the university wanted him to stop coming to work, but they went to court and it was found that they couldn't stop him from coming to work, even though he was over 100 years of age. And just recently, of course, Vera Lynn died at 103 uh, years of age. And um, I remember seeing a, a documentary on television. It was on motor cars and there was this... Um, Lady, she was 103 years of age and she was still driving her 1930 Packard, which she'd bought as a young woman. And um, I remember the interviewer saying, you know, how, can you still change the 
gears and, and drive and said, oh, yes, no problem, no problem driving the car. She said, I just don't service it myself anymore. So I thought that was quite funny. And sometimes I used to, you know, in a casual conversation with people, joke, well, if you, you want to live a long time, you know, drive a Packard. But another aspect too of um, uh, living a long time, um, you know, some people maintain quite high levels of fitness. Um, I saw another documentary about a uh, man who, over 100 years of age, uh, ran a marathon. And um, I think it was, it was some sort of, of, of record. But the point that my friend has made in his book, and I think is a, is a really good one, is that the Bible actually gives us some very important clues for eternal life. And um, I'll read uh, some of them. And, and one of them is found in uh, the book of John, uh, chapter 17, and it's verse 3. And this is Jesus speaking. And he says this, And this is eternal life, that they know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. And I, I guess we can say, well, hang on, you know, what's, what's this eternal life? Well, the bottom line, as my friend points out, is this. And, you know, and he's, he's a biochemist um, and done a lot of research uh, work in the area of biochemistry and, and, of course, related to human biochemistry and medicine. And the thing is, we know that we, we're going to die that the life expectancy at max realistically is at the present time 120 years. And from the medical research that we've got at the moment, it seems unlikely that we are ever going to be able to extend it much beyond that. As we understand, you know, a whole lot about our genetics and, um, you know, um, upregulating, downregulating genes, and and you know we we're certainly working way at ways that um, we can improve the quality of life, but it seems that there's this this natural ceiling now. So when we get into eternal life and living forever, he points out that this is uh, this is of course the the ultimate goal. That would be so wonderful if we could live forever. But we would want to live forever in this world where we see um, our um, you know pollution taking place. I read a statistic just the other day where, um, and I haven't checked the calculations, but this is what the report was in the in the media that by the year 2050. The, if we don't do something about the rate at which we're disposing of plastics into the ocean, there will be a greater weight of plastic in the ocean than there is fish in the ocean. And this is a scary thing. And we think about the deforestation that is uh, occurring. that's um, obviously affecting the the global balance of oxygen in in many ways, that's a bit of a worry, the acidification of the oceans um, and that, how that affects the, the, you know, the uh, algae and plankton that, again, involved in the oxygen cycle, and we, we certainly need lots of oxygen. 
um, around. We, we see the, um, the devastation of the environment, the number of animals that are becoming extinct and plants, of course, you know. So real and, and – but also we see the, the struggles that the people have and, of course, the, the crime rates in, in many areas are, are, have, have gone up and certainly have changed from when, you know, I, I was um, a, a young person. The types of crime, much more violent crime is around, you know, the crime rates have increased and so would we really want to live in, in this world for that long period of time? And this is where the Bible actually talks about answering that basic need that we have to live forever, but to ever live forever in a nice environment. You know, how many people choose if they, if they come into a lot of money, they buy a nice house in a nice location, somewhere with a nice views, with nice gardens. This is what, and this is, expresses the, the desire of people, of, of where they want to live, uh, you know, pretty well generally speaking. People want to live in a, in a nice place with nice views over nature and and nearby friends, nearby people that are loving and kind to them and appreciate that they enjoy socialising with. And this is, of course, the exact picture that God talks about how he, he wants for us. Um, and, of course, there's the famous verse that um, is quoted uh, when Jesus uh, was um, talking to Nicodemus and Jesus explained to Nicodemus, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so much the Son of Man be lifted up that whosoever believes in him may have eternal life. And we know the, the story that Moses, when the Israelites were, um, were fleeing Egypt and crossing to the Promised Land, um, there was a, a, a plague of snakes that came through and were biting the uh, people, and um, God told Moses to put a snake on a pole and hold up, and those people that looked at the snake and believed, they were healed from the from the snake bite. And of course, in the medical profession, we have that that symbol. Doctors, uh, when I was a boy, used to have a little metal badge often on their car of that symbol, and. Um, and if they were hurrying, well, in those days, a lot of, uh, the doctors used to do a lot of home visits and this sort of thing, uh, people were able to recognise, well, that was a, a doctor on his way somewhere to help someone. And John explains, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And this, I guess, depends on... Uh, you know, we we have to have faith, and just recently, I've I've talked a little bit about faith. But there's a another another uh, text too. Well, maybe I'll talk about think about the faith thing uh, now. And I recall, as I uh, mentioned recently, I've been reading the book Faith Like Potatoes, and as this this farmer who became a a preacher, and as I uh, mentioned. Uh, wanted to call a meeting to pray for unity in, in South Africa between the blacks and the whites and filled 
the largest sports stadium in the Southern Hemisphere with people to pray to God for that um, peace between the two groups. And at that time, he declared his faith in God that he, even though they're in the, the throes of a massive drought at the time, that he announced publicly that he was going to plant potatoes as a sign of faith in God. He was going to go ahead and step out as a farmer and plant his crop. And God rewarded him in that drought, in the drought conditions, he had a bumper crop. And that was something he stepped out in faith in front of over 10,000 people or however many there were at that time. It was a huge number of people there that had gathered at that, at that time. And his whole point was that believing, believing in God is like we believe the potatoes are real. We can go, we can either go into the shop or have them in our garden and dig them up and we can hold them in our hand. They're real. And so we've got to have faith like that, knowing that God is real. It's interesting that we uh, talk about God as our heavenly father uh, because as we, as we think about it in the, the story of creation, how God created Adam and Eve, he was like their father. He was their parent. And Jesus, again, um, talks about, um, he says, as he was talking to the people and trying to explain to them, Jesus said, for I have come down from heaven. And so here we have a direct statement that Jesus was God. Here we have Jesus saying this quite clearly. For I have in, in John chapter 6, verses 38 to 40, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me, talking about the Father. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And so here Jesus explaining, says a, a couple of times that eternal life is knowing God, is believing that Jesus was God um, uh, who had been made himself as a human to live among us, to show us how to live, to teach us, to have that faith. Now, a lot of people stumble over that and think Jesus was you know, just a man and a good man and, and all this sort of thing and taught some good things. But when we look at the evidence there of the, the eyewitnesses that saw Jesus heal people but also raise people from the dead, and those people who were witnesses went on to tell the evidence that they had. They were eyewitnesses, and they, they changed the world uh, as a result. And the copies of the letters that they wrote that became the letters, particularly the New Testament, um, carry, you know, they changed, they changed the world. And uh, you had then the experience of people who were trying to wipe out Christianity and destroy Christians, like Paul, who then had a personal experience with the resurrected Jesus afterwards, um, after Jesus' death and totally, totally changed to be one preaching the gospel, the good news that um, Jesus had died so that 
and now God can is free to forgive us from our sins. Because the Bible explains how there was a con a, a conflict between God and and Satan, a, an angel, a created being, a being that tried to usurp God. Now, I mean, there's a lot in this to explain, and that's why encouraged to read the Bible. The Bible sets this out. It sets out the the history of uh, the fall of why man originally had eternal life, was designed to live uh, forever on this beautiful planet. And it sets out and explains the fall and what has happened and how um, evil came in and affected just the whole environment of the earth. Um, And it also goes right through and explains God's plan to restore um, the earth and to recreate us. Now, unfortunately, it's my uh, that so many people today, um, through our education system, have been educated that science has disproved the Bible. And what my friend, uh, the um, biochemist friend in the U.S. in the, in America points out is that one of the fundamental things that has changed this has been the teaching of evolution. And he then goes on to point out how evolution is impossible and, you know, the it just doesn't work. The, the evidence um, just doesn't fit. And there's so much evidence, though, that the Bible is true. And that evidence he points out as in the prophecies, the prophecies that have been fulfilled and point to this. And as I've mentioned in one of my talks too, it's interesting, you know, Professor John Lennox, Professor of Mathematics at the University of Oxford, points this out too in his book Against the Flow, that we have the prophecies, particularly the prophecies of Daniel, um, that was the advisor to Nebuchadnezzar, the famous Babylonian king that built the hanging gardens of Babylon and um, uh, and, and you know, conquered Jerusalem and, and so forth and Egypt and these places and, and built, established the uh, Babylonian Empire. And Daniel was his advisor. And the, the prophecies that pointed to Jesus, and there are other prophecies too, that from Isaiah that... Um, his prophecies um, in the Psalms that David wrote. And so these ancient prophecies that were all fulfilled um, in Jesus Christ, the evidence is overwhelming that the Bible is a true historical account of this. And we have the archaeological evidence all the time. They seem to be finding more and more evidence supporting the historical accuracy down to a T, down to minute details and some of this um, for example those uh, might be interested in the book uh, that I did with David down unwrapping the Pharaohs how um, Egyptian uh, history confirms the biblical timeline and um, so and that that book is available now and we'll look um, uh, David down did a lot of research in in this area where, and we show that the Egyptian history just fits the biblical account. And this is the history that's preserved in you know, the archaeology of the pyramids and the, the uh, temples and so forth in the Valley of the Kings and, and right through. 
So we have um, the this evidence there. Well, as people learn about the you know the the Big Bang and um, the you know the origin of the universe is, is the Big Bang. Uh, it's interesting. My friends points out. Well, look if you if you just Google. Um, and say go to Wikipedia or Google the age of the universe. At the moment you get an age of um, 380, uh, sorry, 13.8 billion years Um, and they reckon the accuracy is plus or minus about 20 million years. But yet when we look at that, the diameter of the universe is about 90 billion light years across. Yeah, 93 billion light light years across. So how could those stars and that travel, that distance from the Big Bang, if it's only uh, 13.8 billion years old, how can something that requires light to travel, according to their calculations, at 4.6 billion years? So here... You know, just this this basic thing contradicts, you know, the known physics that the fastest that mass can travel at is the speed of light. Um, There's just not enough time. And, of course, these, you know, ages and and so forth are calculated on the, you know, the redshifts of the microwave radiation. And the redshift is if the change in the uh, frequency of light changes the, well, it's... Depending on the radiation, it's not necessarily red, but red light is a longer wavelength than, say, blue light. And so as objects move away from us, it appears that their their wavelength uh, increases and so forth. So this is the, the, the red shift. Uh, and blue shift is a decrease in, in wavelength. As an object moves towards us, we get a decrease in wavelength because of, because of its speed and, of course, when things are travelling at the speed of light, even the speed of the observer comes into effect. So they do these calculations. But the bottom line is this, that all their explanations for the, you know, the age of the universe and the origin of life and so forth, as I've explained many times, they, it doesn't work. It doesn't fit the evidence. Now, I explained that in, for example, my book, Evolution Impossible, 12 reasons why evolution cannot explain the origin of life on Earth. And in that, there's a chapter on the, on the Big Bang and the major problems that we have in, um, in biochemistry. And matter of fact, if you just Google, again, um, unsolved problems in physics, in the area of biophysics, the scientists are a long way from understanding um, just how in how genes govern our body and particularly in develop development as the egg, little egg develops into a human, how do genes govern all the structures because they have to be so tightly regulated. There are so many issues that science can't explain but the Bible's the statement that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and the Bible's picture that God wants to create a new heavens and a new earth where we will live forever. It fits. It works. It's the best explanation that we have yet. I'd encourage you to, to
to read your Bible and, and learn about this and have that faith like potatoes that you can have eternal life through Jesus Christ. You've been listening to Faith and Science. And remember, if you wish to re-listen to this or any of the earlier programs, just Google 3abnaustralia.org.au and click on the Listen button. I'm Dr John Ashton. Have a great day. been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.